to the Holistic Nutritionist podcast. My name's Natalie Douglas. I am your solo host for today and I'm really excited to dive into this topic. I love talking about hormones, about periods, about poos, about all the fun stuff in life and I also am deeply passionate about making sure that you understand your incredible, complex, miraculous body and I feel that harnessing the power of our female sex hormones and what they can do for us when we're working with them is just just gold, you know, just real gold. So if you missed the episode that I did a few podcasts back, uh, it were I can't remember the exact name of the title, but it was all about what a normal cycle looks like. So have a scroll back through the podcast episodes, locate that podcast, have a listen so you've got a foundation to start with in terms of knowing what normal is because a lot of us, understandably, only know our normal because we haven't been in somebody somebody else's body, we haven't experienced anyone else's period, and so to us, whatever we has been our experience is usually what we consider normal. However, in my experience, working with a lot of women, that normal that you consider normal can actually be a huge red flag and you're, you could be suffering in silence, or maybe not silence, but just suffering. So I digress. I want to dive right into today's episode because there is a fair bit to share, and I want to make sure that I cover it all as quickly as possible. So let us begin with talking about heavy periods. So a heavy period is defined as anything over 80 mils of fluid or blood loss over all days of your cycle. For context, one fully soaked regular pad or tampon holds about five mils and a super tampon or pad fully soaked holds 10 mils. For those of you reaching for a calculator, no judgment, me too, uh, 80 mils equates to 16 fully soaked regular tampons or pads or eight fully soaked super tampons or pads. Now, of course, I don't know about you, but I don't have some internal incredible detector that's like, yes, this is fully soaked now. I'm going to take it out. Usually I end up taking it out a little bit early. So if you do that and you're trying to get a gauge of how much blood loss is going on for you, you can just adjust that. So, you know, if you've only soaked half the tampon or pad, then you can just do some maths, which I'm not going to embarrass myself publicly on the podcast doing. You can just work that out in the background and just, I would do it for a couple of cycles. So you've got a bit more information to go off. The other thing that I wanted to mention is that if you use a menstrual cup, which is increasingly more popular, then that can actually be a really convenient way to measure. Depending on which one you get, it should indicate on it how much fluid it holds. So usually it's between about 25 and 30 mils. So just check your specific menstrual cup. If you've thrown out the box or the... Did anyone else find that funny? The box menstrual cup. Someone with my kind of sense of humor is giggling right now. So thank you. Also, if you've, so no, in all seriousness, if you've thrown out the box that the menstrual cup came in, then you can just look it up on their website. And most of the companies selling the menstrual cups have that information on their website. Super easy peasy to find. What else did I want to share on this? Okay. So let's say that you've done your calculation and you're like, yep. 
pretty sure my periods are on the heavier side or are heavy, then what I want to go through now are some of the potential causes. So first up, and these are in no particular order, is high estrogen. And that, like the high, a high estrogen that is unopposed by adequate progesterone. So estrogen thickens the uterine lining and progesterone thins it and makes it lighter, which is why both hormones in balance with each other are important. To go a step further than that, there can be many reasons why estrogen is high and causing your heavy periods. And also there can be many reasons why progesterone is low and also contributing to that. So as an example, estrogen can be high in hypothyroidism, so an underactive thyroid. Uh, It can be high if you've got excess body fat or body weight uh, in some endometriosis cases, but not all. And I really want to stress that because there is this common misconception that high estrogen causes endometriosis or that endometriosis causes high estrogen and it's just not true. So I personally have endometriosis and I have normal estrogen levels. I also have many patients who have uh, low estrogen and endometriosis and of course people who do have high estrogen and then endometriosis. So um, and uh, excess estrogen or high estrogen can promote the growth of endometrial lesions, but it's not a cause in and of itself, at least not in isolation. And I'm totally going off on a tangent here. So let's get back to uh, the causes of, of high estrogen. So those ones, the other couple that come to mind for me is if you've got high levels of beta-glucuronidase, which is basically an enzyme that interferes with estrogen clearance in the gut. In my experience, um, a lot of patients with gut issues can have this to some degree. And yes, you can test for it on certain tests. Uh, Do you always need to? No, I would would more focus on treating the actual gut issue than trying to identify if high beta-glucuronidase is a problem because if you're treating the underlying gut issue, then usually all of that will fall into place anyway. Uh, The other couple of things that come to mind are if you're exposed to too many endocrine-disrupting chemicals, which can come through things like conventional personal care products, plastics, and please, for the love of sweet potatoes, stop eating and drinking out of plastic and do not heat plastics in the microwave. I can't tell you the amount of times where I've seen a massive difference between someone who has been you know, eating, drinking and heating through out of plastics and looking at their estrogen levels there, both men and women actually, and then switching them to not doing that and retesting and seeing it drop significantly. So just a little kind of insight there to let you know that it's not just kind of like airy fairy hippie information. It's legit. And also the environment, people, the environment, let's just, yeah, goodbye plastic. Okay. Um, And then unfiltered water is the other one where you can get exposed to unnecessary excess um, endocrine disrupting chemicals. I almost forgot what I was going to say then. And that's okay because human. All right. The other thing that I also wanted to touch on here is that you can actually have a problem where 
you might have normal amounts of estrogen, but you're hypersensitive to that the amount of estrogen that you have, which can present as similar symptoms to if you just have overt high estrogen. So an example of one driver of estrogen hypersensitivity is what we call it, and this is something that I see quite a lot, is actually iodine deficiency, which um, as a practitioner specializing thyroid health, I'm very, very passionate about detecting and correcting sensibly sensibly being the operative word there so please no one go out mega dosing with iodine particularly if you have a thyroid issue but also just don't do it generally not ideal not safe get it tested work with a practitioner to slowly correct it and um what else was I going to say? Oh, yes. Okay. So if you're like, well, Nat, that's great information, but I have no idea because I haven't tested my estrogen, so I don't know if it's high. How else would I know without testing? Well, there are other two other really clear symptoms that I see in my patients who do have high estrogen or estrogen hypersensitivity, which is PMS and sore boobs. So if you have either of those, as a starting place, I would get your estrogen levels tested and I'd recommend that you do that testing on day two or three of your period. So day one being the first full day of bleeding um, and make sure that you do the test fasted, make sure that you um, have a practitioner that knows what they're doing, interpret the results because I can't tell you the number of times where I've had clients or we've had clients in our programs and one-to-one say, oh yeah, my doctor, specialist, whatever said my estrogen levels are normal and then we have a look at them and they are anything but normal. They might fit within the quote-unquote normal reference range. However, we're not interested in what normal is because normal is often just what's commonly presented to the lab and not necessarily what's optimal. There are exceptions to that, but it's just a really good idea to have someone with a fine-tooth comb go over your results and match it up with your clinical symptoms because tests in isolation are not, you know, I just am really passionate about stressing that, that a test is not the be-all and end-all. Tests plus symptoms plus history are what we need to take into consideration whenever we are diagnosing something or, you know, saying, drawing a conclusion from anything. So that that's true across the board, regardless of whether we're talking about hormones, whether we're talking about your thyroid, your gut, whatever it is, just making sure that you're always taking into consideration multiple things. All right, next up is painful periods. So period pain is believed to be driven by excess inflammatory molecules known as prostaglandins. As far as what constitutes period pain being a red flag versus normal, I usually say to my patients, if it's anything that interferes with your normal daily activities or requires pain medication for relief, then it's not normal and should absolutely be looked into and addressed, even if it's been your normal for as long as you can remember. It's still not normal. So some causes of period pain include infections, various infections, endometriosis, adenomyosis, uterine fibroids, and inadequate progesterone. And I just want to pause here and again emphasize the role of progesterone in your cycle, which can only be produced if you ovulate and is not the same as the progesterone in the pill or in IUDs. 
And the way progesterone works in reducing period pain is that it matures and differentiates the uterine lining, which means that your body is able to shed the lining without as much, I guess, effort. So when inadequate progesterone is around, your uterus basically has to contract more, which can be felt as more cramping and also requires more blood flow. And there are lots of natural treatments for painful periods available. So as an example, um, following an anti-inflammatory diet, removing sugar and dairy from your diet, taking magnesium, B6, zinc, curcumin, and N-acetylcysteine are some of the interventions I use depending on the person and depending on the driver of the painful periods. And a side note here is that we actually see a lot of people with painful periods in our thyroid and gut programs because, as I mentioned before, there is absolutely, I think I mentioned it before, I've been recording podcasts for a while now. Anyway, if I didn't, I'm going to mention it again now. There is a really close relationship between um, these different areas, which is, again, why working with a practitioner is a good idea to get to the bottom of what is actually contributing to your period pain or hormonal imbalances and taking the whole picture into consideration. Because if we're only kind of hyper-focusing in on one area, we can miss a lot or we can end up taking far longer or a far more expensive journey than is actually necessary. Okie dokie, last one. Last point is talking about irregular periods. And this is something, again, we get so many questions about in both gut rescue and thyroid rescue and with one-to-one patients. And I think the reason is because, again, they're all related and also because there's a lot of misinformation around what a normal period is out there. So we can often label ourselves or get labeled with irregular cycles or, you know, not normal periods when in fact it can be normal and also the flip side can be true. So let's just get on the same page again for a minute here. Irregular cycles or regular periods um, that are outside a normal cycle length of 21 to 35 days as we discussed in episode, I think it was 131 of the podcast, that one I was talking about earlier that is on what a normal cycle and period looks like. So if you're const- if you're consistently sitting outside that range or if your cycle length is tending to vary by more than seven to nine days consistently, then that again is a red flag that you kind of have irregular cycles. A few days variation is completely normal because sometimes you might just ovulate slightly earlier or later and there are many things that can vary your cycle length to that degree. So for example, perhaps you've been sick, perhaps you've done some travel, maybe you have been quite stressed and those few things can absolutely have an influence on when you ovulate and therefore when you get your period. However, if your cycles, um, you know, are varying by more than seven to nine days each period, then each cycle, I'm trying to not, I'm trying to use the right terms there, but I know that everyone continues to use them interchangeably. Anyway, hopefully that makes sense. So if your period is varying in terms of when it comes by more than seven to nine days quite consistently, then a couple of things could be happening. 
You might be a teenager, in which case, hello, welcome to the podcast. I don't feel like any of you are teenagers, but though I do know some of you have teenagers, and I just want to share that it's quite normal when in the first uh, couple of years of having a period that cycles are a little bit more irregular or even longer. So that is normal, nothing to be concerned about at this point in time. Perimenopause is another time where your cycles may become more irregular and that is just what tends to happen during that stage of life and also is normal, though there may be many things that you can do to support yourself through that process as well to make that transition easier. Pregnancy, of course, is another like surprisingly underlooked cause of someone identifying why their period is late or missed. So remember that you ovulate first and then you get your period. So make sure to take a pregnancy test if you're not sure if you are pregnant or not. So if your period is late, take a pregnancy test if there is a chance that you are pregnant because we want to know about that as soon as possible. Um, And the other time where your periods may be a bit more irregular is just initially in that postpartum period and um, not necessarily anything to be concerned about. And if you are concerned, then making sure you get some support around that. So all of those fairly normal expected times aside, the other couple that come to mind that I definitely would recommend faster intervention with are PCOS, so polycystic ovarian syndrome, and also hypothyroidism, so an underactive thyroid or hyperthyroidism, an overactive thyroid. This one is big and obviously an area I am very much interested in being a thyroid-focused practitioner. So the re- so I'm going to expand a little bit on the reason for this. So the reason why having thyroid issues can contribute to irregular cycles is because in hyperthyroidism, for example, so an underactive thyroid, we can see an elevation of prolactin, which suppresses ovulation. Another reason is that we actually need adequate thyroid hormones to ovulate from an energy perspective. So ovulation, like you need a fair bit of energy, guys. We're doing a pretty big thing. And if you don't have enough thyroid hormone, which is essentially, I guess, the energy currency of the body to an oversimplified uh, degree, then you're not going to be able to ovulate. And a final reason is because having thyroid issues can impact your ability to handle carbohydrates or more accurately, um, it can decrease your insulin sensitivity, which can increase the risk for PCOS. So don't forget to get this checked out properly and you can absolutely do so. You can get a fasting insulin done, you can get fasting glucose done, you can also measure prolactin um, and you can obviously also measure your thyroid hormones. So the treatment for irregular periods really does depend on the cause, on the driver of why your cycles or why your periods are irregular. So I'm not going to dive into any treatment recommendations there because it can vary quite significantly depending on what's happening. So that's pretty much the end of going through those three different causes or different 
um, problems when it comes to periods, I'd so love for you to share this with your friends, your family, your colleagues, um, or on your Instagram, because I really do think that the more we understand our cycles, the better we can harness the power of our hormones to improve our life in all aspects. I literally plan many aspects of my life around my cycle, around my cycle, because, you know, I think we have different strengths and not weaknesses, but I don't have a better word right now. So let's just roll with it. Strengths and weaknesses at different points in our monthly rhythm. And when you learn to harness the power of it, it honestly is such a game changer. Like guys, if I showed you my calendar right now, there's like launches for programs planned around ovulation because that's when I feel most motivated, most social. Um, there, when I the week of my period or just before, I also block my calendar out for consultations and big meetings because I know I need to rest and I need to kind of go inward a little bit more. And I also often change my training around my cycle too. So, um, and social events, etc. where it's in my control, of course, I'm, I, uh, my brother's getting married soon. And, you know, I, I, f- I was about to kind of be like, you know what, that week's not going to work for me. I am not, I'm in my, I'm in my luteal phase. I'm going to be feeling a little bit more teary. I don't have as much energy to be social. Maybe I could just shuffle that a little bit, but obviously not really my place to say that, is it? Anyway, that was absolutely unnecessary information for all of you. And I am going to share the last thing I had to share with you today, which is a little bit more of where you can find more of this information. So, if you are someone who is interested in learning about learning more about your hormones, your thyroid hormones, for example, which have a significant impact on many of these different issues we've spoken about today, then I just want to let you know that in August, I'm running another live round of Thyroid Rescue, which is my 12-week online program designed for women with thyroid issues to get to the root cause of their symptoms, understand their body better, learn how to eat to support your thyroid, your energy, your hormones, your weight, fertility, and loads more. And you can actually check out all of the details for the program on my website, which is just nataliekdouglas.com. And there's a little tab up the top that says thyroid rescue. And I'd also really encourage you to keep an eye out on my Instagram over the coming weeks for a free mini podcast series that I'm so excited to be hosting in July to give you a taster of some of the epic info we go through in the program as well. And regardless of whether you decide you want to join the program or not, it's going to be a really interesting, well, that's my plan, really interesting few podcasts that I'm going to provide. And just to be clear, it's completely separate from this Holistic Nutritionist podcast. So this is a separate thing that I'm doing. You need to make sure that you sign up for it. As as soon as I've got the link for you to be able to sign up, I will share it on my social media. So that's where to keep an eye out for things. If you're unsure, please always just send me an Instagram DM or you can contact us at support at nataliekdouglas.com. If your issues are purely or mainly gut related, then a reminder that I also run a 12-week online gut program called Gut Rescue, which comes with one-to-one support, which you can join at any time, provided there are spots open. We have a limited amount of spots each month. And to apply for a spot, you just need to book a free gut assessment call with me so we can ensure you're the right fit before moving into the program. These calls can be booked via the link in my Instagram bio, or again, you can 
contact me either on social media or email and I can send you the direct link to book a call. They are limited and I do ask that you only you utilize them to book um, a free chat with me if you are you know, definitely looking for help. There's no obligation to sign yourself up or commit to anything on the call. It's more so just a chance for us to chat, connect, for me to hear a little bit more of your health story and your goals to make sure that whatever you spend your time, your energy, your effort, your money on next is actually going to be something that works because there's nothing worse than investing in something and it not doing a single thing for you. So that is the goal of those kind of screening calls or assessment calls. So make sure you do book one of those if you're interested. I do also run them for the thyroid rescue program as well. So if your issues are more thyroid related, then you can book a free thyroid assessment call via the same ways. All right, that is enough talking from me. I hope you all have a fabulous day or night whenever you are listening and I really look forward to connecting with you more in the coming weeks on this podcast here and also if you're joining me in the mini podcast series I'm running in July.